Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, July 18th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott is working from Nebraska this week, right? Sarah, you were telling me? Um. Well, next week. I am next in, week from Nebraska. Yes, I am in West Hartford right now, and I just had my first oyster, so I'm officially Northeasterner. <laughs> well, you're not, because I've never had an oyster, and I am a Northeasterner, so come on. Uh, <laughs> Buster only uh, working from Los Angeles, where tonight we're going to have the Home Run Derby. On Tuesday, we've got the All-Star Game. On Thursday, we got the first game of the second half, Dodger broadcast, so a lot of fun out here. It was a lot of fun here last night at LA Live where the Major League Baseball draft uh, was held, at least the first round of it. The Orioles were on the clock with the number one overall pick, and they chose Jackson Holiday. Here was Jackson Holiday, the son of longtime big leaguer Matt Holiday, after being selected, speaking with Carl Ravage. When you go into this day, what are you thinking relative to what just happened with you being selected number one? Um, I was just trying to enjoy it. I was very, very excited and I uh, was really looking forward to it, but um, I just treated it like a normal day. We went and hit and we've been swimming, so uh, it's just been, a, it's been an awesome day and uh, I really, it's been, it's been amazing. Tell me about the relationship that all the people behind you have, but certainly to the man standing there to your right, your dad. Um, he's awesome. He's, uh, he's like my best friend and um, he, uh, he's always there when I, when I want to work and he's always pushing me to, to be great and uh, I probably wouldn't be in this uh, position without him. Matty, I can't imagine what this moment feels like. Uh, why don't you share that with us? What does it feel like to have your son be taken first overall in a Major League Baseball draft? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very surreal. Uh, I, it's, uh, I just looked at my wife before the draft started and thought, it's crazy that we're here, um, that, that Jackson's old enough to have this kind of experience. And uh, I'm super proud of him, obviously, um, as a dad to share a passion for baseball with him and, and to get a chance to watch uh, the first step really in, in, his, in his career and his goal and his dreams uh, come true and, and to watch the work that he put in to get here um, and to think back of all the time we've spent together uh, at the baseball field and around Major League Baseball for him to, to start his career and, and to be drafted in the first round, by the, you know, the first pick of the first round uh, by a storied franchise is, is pretty exciting. There's no doubt that the biggest surprise of the draft was when the Texas Rangers chose Kumar Rocker uh, as the third pick overall. Of course, Rocker last year selected by the Mets, but because concerns about his physical, they chose not to sign him. There was a lot of conversation this year about whether or not Rocker would be in the first round. I had an evaluator tell me that, yeah, he's going to be in the first round, but probably in the second half of the first round. So for the Rangers to take him, Third pick overall, I will tell you, there's some conspiracy theories out there, and I'll be speaking about those with Tim Kirchin coming up. The Rangers played the Mariners yesterday, and nobody can slow Seattle. Ty France going deep. And the 1-0 pitch to Ty. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Calhoun going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball off the facing of the second level. Ty France celebrates his all-star selection before the game with a home run here in the top of the fifth. Seattle Sports, 7, 10 a.m. The Mariners would extend their lead in the top of the seventh. Here comes the pitch to Julio. Swung on and cracked. High and deep to center field. This is launched and bangs off the wall. Around third base, here comes Frazier. Haggerty right behind him. He's going to score. Julio into second base. Slams a double off the wall. And the Mariners extend the lead. And here's what it sounded like in the bottom of the ninth inning. Here's the set by Seawald and the right-handers. 2-2 on the way, swing and a fly ball into left center field. Winker is there calling for it, and the ball game is over. The Mariners have won 14 consecutive games. They've won 22 of their last 25. The Mariners absolutely rolling. They now are in a great position, the American League wildcard chase. And on the other hand, some of the AL East teams have had issues we saw on Sunday Chris Sale take a ball, smoked off his left hand, broke his pinky. Looks like he's going to be out for many weeks. That's a devastating blow for the Red Sox. I'll be talking with Tim about that as well. The Blue Jays face the Royals. Now Alejandro Kirk, all-star, got a big hit. 
Runner at first, nobody out. Flatty's going. The pitch. Kirk cracks it. Deep left field. Oliveris back at the wall, and it is gone! What a send-off for Alejandro Kirk! That from Sportsnet, 590, the fan. Blue Jays win that one 4-2. The Rays face the Orioles. The Rays have had a good week, and they capped it off with a nice win on Sunday. Help from Randy Rosarena. And the pitch lifted in the air to straightaway center field, pushing Mullins back to the warning track. Mullins back to the wall, jumps up, and gone! Home run! A two-run homer for a Rosarena. He continues just destroy Orioles pitching, and the Rays take a 2-0 lead right away. On their way to a 7-4 victory, 620 WDAE was that call. And, of course, we've got the great race in the National League East taking shape. The Mets swept a doubleheader from the Cubs on Saturday, and on Sunday, the Cubs struck back. Drew Smith is ready and deals. Line drive, base hit, center field. Contreras is going to try to score. The throw by Nemo to the plate, the slide. Safe at the plate. Nico Horner goes to second. Cubs lead three to two. Yeah, and the Cubs would hold on and win that one three to two. So an opportunity for the Braves on Sunday with the Mets losing. They face the Nationals, and they couldn't get it done, in part because of a guy who's right at the center of the baseball conversation these days. Now they're ready. Here's the pitch. Swinging a high fly ball to deep right. Back goes Duvall. Looking up. It's going. Going. It is gone. Up and over the big wall. A home run for Juan Soto into section 139. And it's now the Nationals 7 and the Braves 3. That from the Nationals Radio Network. Yeah, the biggest news broke over the weekend. First in the Athletic, confirmed by ESPN, that Soto turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer. Remember, Soto's 23 years old. Uh, there also were subsequent reports. Maybe the Nationals will restructure their offer a, a little bit. They'll tweak it here and there. But the full expectation of other teams is that the Nationals are going to seriously consider trading Juan Soto before this year's deadline. There's a lot of stuff going on this with this, a lot of stuff behind the scenes. We'll talk about the teams that are in the best position to make a deal for the guy who's arguably the best hitter in baseball. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, big night following the Home Run Derby. We've got The Captain, which tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career. Episode one premieres at 10 p.m. Eastern following the conclusion of the Home Run Derby on ESPN. Streaming on ESPN and Plus, there'll be uh, episode two out tomorrow evening as well. I think that comes on at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and will also stream on ESPN Plus. Also, another Omaha production here. We've got not just football with Cam Hayward each week. Fans get a peek inside the uh, the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh defensive tackle and five-time Pro Bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshire. It never disappoints you. 
on Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkchen, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, this is the last conversation you and I will have on the podcast when you're not known as someone who's been honored at the Hall of Fame. That happens next weekend. You got your mind around that? Yeah, uh, I went to Cooperstown last week, Buster, Tuesday and Wednesday to try to get like an understanding of what this is all about as far as venues and everything else. It was it was very important and it was very worthwhile. Um, And if I may, I went into the museum and they have a new movie out about the history of baseball. It runs about 15 minutes in the theater in there. I don't care how corny this sounds. I watched that thing and I was in tears after 45 seconds, 45 seconds. I was literally crying because it just speaks to how great this game is. And that was my takeaway. Again, there's a shared interest of all the people that come to Cooperstown. They love baseball. Thank goodness I'm in that group because that's all I got, Buster. I'm not a great writer. I look terrible on TV. I have a terrible voice. The only thing I've ever had going for me is a love for the game. And those two days at Cooperstown, just kind of walking around, made me appreciate again why everyone loves this place. It's a shared love for the game. So tell me how you're going to handle that moment. And it's going to happen based on what I've heard from other people. When a George Brett walks up to you and puts his hand on your shoulder or Peter Gammons walks up to you or let's say Sandy Koufax makes it to Cooperstown this weekend. He puts his shoulder, the hand on your shoulder and said, hey, Tim, you're one of us. Well, I hope I say this right. It'll mean more when Peter Gammons says that to me than if George Brett does. And don't don't misunderstand how much I admire George Brett and everyone who played the game. But I'm not in that club, Buster. I'm not one of them. I am with Peter Gammons. I'm with Dan Shaughnessy. I'm with Jason Stark. And someday you'll be in there too, and I'll put my hand on your shoulder. And that's the most important thing, is to hear it from the people who do the same job that I do. Well, and and your speech preparation, it's all done, right? You worked in a a name or two of other people? Well, I I memorized my speech. I trimmed it to 15 minutes. And after your comments on this show last week, you're out of the speech now. (laughs) So that's how I trimmed. I had a spot for Buster. Now he's gone because he ambushed me on the air last week. Very nice. All right, let's get to the news of the weekend, which is someone who probably is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday, and that would be Juan Soto. According to The Athletic, turned down $440 million over 15 years in an offer from the Washington Nationals. The offer was heavily backloaded, uh, and now the Nationals are open to a trade. It's something we talked about in May. You could see this developing on the horizon, Tim, because if you're the incoming owner of the Washington Nationals, we don't know for sure who this is going to be. uh, You want this situation resolved. He is the face of the franchise, and you're either going to want him signed or you're going to want him out of there because you don't want to have your first big move as owner of the Nationals to be, hey, we have to talk about either signing or trading Juan Soto. You want the Lerner family to have to deal with that. Yes? Yes. And Buster, you said it on this podcast last week that Mike Rizzo said we're not trading him and we all believed him and because it's Mike Rizzo and what he says goes but it doesn't matter what he says until ownership makes up its mind about what to do and now the pressure is on because you're exactly right if you're going to pay a guy almost a half a billion dollars you have to know is he going to be there or not? And if he doesn't want to stay, then you have to move him and you have to move him quickly because you can't be in the middle when you buy a team not knowing is he with us or is he leaving us? You got to know that before you sell the team and yeah, before that, you buy the team. Yeah, that conversation would dominate the first couple of years of the the new owner And they would be, uh, you know, it would essentially brand the incoming owners moving forward. Oh, yeah, that's the owner that let Juan Soto get away. Yeah, that's the owner that traded Juan Soto. If you remember, and I know it's not apples to apples because the market's a little bit differently, but you and I had conversations when Derek Jeter's group took over the Marlins. And the first thing Derek did was to trade Giancarlo Stanton and Christian Yelich and, you know, in the end, JT Real Muto. 
it made no sense because you had a fan base that was sitting there and that's their first impression of you running the team is you're trading away the best players. That's the position this owner is in, whoever that's going to be. Right. And that's why the learners have to make the move for the next owner. Cause like any other, any other business owner, and I'm not good at business who, who has a new business and the biggest commodity they have, they have to know is, are they, is he with us or is he not? So I'm just fascinated to see where this goes from here because the track record is remarkable already for Juan Soto. He has over 100 home runs already, and he's 23, 24 years old. It's amazing. The haul that he's going to bring could take the – nationals to the next level as far as a rebuild goes but they have to do it sooner rather than later and it'll just be fascinating to see what team jumps in there and is willing to give up as much as possible for a player that good in an accelerated process we are 15 days away from the trade deadline and i reached out to some people this morning uh, before we, we started the podcast, the people with team level, this was interesting. The Nationals actually have not communicated this information to individual teams yet. Like it was uh, the perception is they leaked this out because they're like, well, we might as well get the starting gun going and get people's brains percolating and then start developing some offers. And so Mike Rizzo, if they're going to trade him and the feeling among the other teams I talked with today is, yeah, they're going to uh, because of the ownership situation, it's going to have to happen quickly. Um, you know, of course, we're going to talk about the usual suspects, the Dodgers and the Yankees, big market teams. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why they would want Soto. Uh, they are certainly in a position to pay him long term. I'm going to install for me, Tim, the favorites to get Soto this summer, the San Diego Padres. They are in a win now mode. They have uh, prospects to anchor a potential deal. C.J. Abrams, you would assume their terrific young shortstop would be in that deal. Their owner is absolutely motivated. And unlike the Dodgers or Yankees, who I think would be concerned about the question of, okay, we need to get this player locked up into a deal. I think the Padres would make a deal for Soto uh, and, and be comfortable saying, you know what, we'll have him for three pennant races this year, next year, and the year after that. Can you imagine a Padre lineup that starts out with Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Manny Machado? Uh, another team that's talked a lot about the Texas Rangers. I'll go into that a little bit more uh, forward as to why that is. But for you, which team do you look at as being a potential match for a deal for Juan Soto? Well, you already said the two obvious ones, the Dodgers and the Yankees, because they have the most, mo most money and the most resources, and it's going to take both in order to get him and get him signed. But the Padres make a lot of sense, Buster. They, they're six and 10 in July. They are not a good offensive team, especially without Fernando Tatis Jr. They're in trouble as far as making the playoff go, even though I think they will no matter what they do. They need him more than the Dodgers need Juan Soto. They need him more. The Yankees hit 157 homers the first half of the season. That's the fourth most ever. The Dodgers don't need any help offensively. They have a great team and a tremendous offensive team. The Padres need help. I, I think they can make the playoffs without him, but imagine adding him for the stretch run and getting to October with a healthy, as you said, Tatis, Soto, and Manny Machado. With that pitching, that puts them in a position to not only get to the World Series, but to win it for the first time. He's a bigger difference maker for me, for the Padres, than he is for the other two teams. Yeah, and I haven't mentioned uh, two obvious potential fits for uh, for Soto, and that is the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. Because, Tim, I don't think there's any chance that the Nationals trade Juan Soto in their division to a division rival. What about you? Right. Well, that's that's why I left him out also. Look, <laughs> the Nationals are going to have plenty of teams that are going to step forward. How many have enough money and resources to trade for him is another question. But if you can avoid the Braves, who just beat the Nationals like 15 straight games, if you can avoid the hated Mets from 250 miles away, you don't go there if you don't have to if you're the Nationals. However, and I don't think that will happen but if the best deal comes from the Mets, the best deal comes from the Braves, and you're the Nationals, gets back to the beginning part of this discussion. If you're in trouble and you have to trade him, you take the best offer no matter where it is. But you must, if possible, avoid your own division. 
So we should touch on this question. Can you imagine a player, when you first started covering baseball, turning down an offer of $440 million at age 23? That is unbelievable how much money that is. But you know what, Tim? You've talked to Soto. I've talked to Soto. It, 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 first off, incredible ability. That's, uh, you know, we, that goes without saying, but also tremendous confidence. And he's already made a lot of money in baseball. So when we think of rejecting an offer like that, it's not like this guy's going to wind up, you know, uh, struggling for food money when he's in his 40s if he gets hurt. Yeah. And he's got a ring already, Buster. He's been the arguably the best player on a world championship team already hit clean up at age 20 in a world series game. Three guys in history have done that. So he's looking out and saying, I'm going to be a great hitter for 15 more years. I'm going to break records before this is over. Why not do it with a team with which I can win a bunch of rings? And that's where he's looking. That's why he turned it down. I go back to something Gene Orza told me, 20, 25 years ago, he looked at me, you know, former, you know, a legal counsel for the Players Association. He said, Tim, you just don't understand. This is a discussion that will never end. Someday we're going to be talking about a player making $250 million a year. You don't seem to understand. This is going to keep growing. And he's basically been right. Now we're up to $440 million and somebody said no. And by the way, another reason why the Yankees or Dodgers might not want to get involved in this thing in a significant level, can you imagine the leverage that Scott Boris would have if either one of those teams makes a deal for a Juan Soto uh, as he moves toward free agency? <laughs> like he's already turned down $440 million and the Dodgers or Yankees trade a boatload of prospects to get him. Can you imagine how Scott could handle that negotiation? You know what? Uh Six hundred. The number's got to start with six. It's got to be right. six hundred. Right. Yeah. I mean, you would think a, a, a five, a half a billion dollars would be the next barrier to cross. But when Scott's involved in it, he might go past a half a billion and go for more than that. that that's inconceivable to me. But I think it's proving again nothing is inconceivable when it comes to players and money, especially a 23-year-old with a track record like this and a future like this. All right. Uh, I mentioned that uh, there's some conspiracy theories going on uh, about the Rangers last night and their pick of Kumar Rockers, the third overall pick, which was a huge surprise to a lot of folks. I, I talked with an evaluator a couple of weeks ago who saw Rocker. He said, look, uh, he has a great breaking ball. He's throwing well. His fastball velocity is 94 to 96. This evaluator said that he, he certainly was going to be a first-round pick, but the thought for everybody was second half of the first round, certainly not a top three pick, and the Rangers jump up. And immediately the thought pops in the head of folks in other front offices, you know what? The Rangers signed Corey Seager, Scott Boris' client. They signed Marcus Simeon, Scott Boris' client. And now they've taken – uh, Kumar Rocker, Scott Boris Klein. You and I have seen many situations in the past where Scott has developed a relationship with a particular franchise. And oh, by the way, Tim, who else does Scott Boris represent? Juan Soto. So uh, when you hear all that, just knowing your experience in baseball, you and I don't know the conversations that took place behind the scenes between the Rangers and Scott. But I would say this, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't rule it out completely. What do you think? Well, we've learned never to rule anything out completely with Scott Boris because the number of times he has done something that just made us shake our heads. Like you say, well, you know, he's not going to make this one happen. And then he does. I mean, I was there. We were there for Alex Rodriguez's signing and there was no chance he was getting to that number. And he got there by a mile. He got like a hundred million more than anybody thought he was going to get. So you don't have to like him. But he usually gets what he wants, and all conspiracy theories are in play when it comes to Scott Boris. As for Rocker, look, Buster, I know this was a big surprise, and I get it. I keep going back, though, to Chris Young, and maybe I give him too much credit. He's like one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He pitched in the major leagues. He's got such a calm influence about him. I'm not sure I've ever enjoyed talking to a player more than I enjoyed talking to Chris Young because he's just so level-headed about things. It just seems from a distance here 
There is no way they would take a flyer on Kumar Rocker when he's the number three pick in the country. They must know more than we do. I just have total faith that Chris Young is doing the right thing by making this move, even though it shocked the industry, including myself. And and this is just pure speculation, but imagine if you're the Rangers and you have Rocker in line with what other people are talking about. You have him as the 15th best player in the draft. And Scott Boris is saying to you, hey, you know what? We work together on these two major free agents that work for you. Uh, I need to find a way to get Kumar Rocker his money that he would have gotten if he had signed with the Mets last year. And this would help my situation, would help Kumar's situation if you moved up in the draft. And and here's the other thing, too. Uh, you mentioned Chris Young. They've got lighter in their in their farm system, you know, who is his teammate at Vanderbilt. Those guys are really close. So they certainly have great intel on Rockers. Supposedly, a, I've talked to him once. People who know him a long time rave about him. But if you're the Rangers and you can help Scott Boris out in the situation in terms of getting the player, what he was trying to get him last year when he didn't sign with the Mets, maybe you do that on a player who's that close to being at the top of the draft. And as I say, it's relationships developing between Scott and the Rangers, apparently. Uh, and just to finish, Buster, it, let's say Kumar Rocker is totally healthy. And let's say that breaking ball is really going to play in the big leagues. And he could help you like quickly. This is a team on the way up. You get, he's not 19, he's 22 years old. He's right. been around. He might be ready to pitch in the big leagues really soon. Who wouldn't want to add somebody that could help their major league team maybe in September? And then imagine him and Jack Leiter in the same rotation soon. That's pretty impressive. The first pick in the draft was Jackson Holiday, and that was not surprising to you or I, Tim. You know, I've, I've done stories about sons of major leaguers. They, from Eduardo Perez on, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, it fascinates me. I first met Jackson Holiday when he was like four or five, and he's got Matt Holiday, his dad, and he. people are saying, okay, Jackson, let's do Ken Griffey Jr.'s batting stance. He's four years old, and he's got it down perfectly, and he's swinging a bat like an 11-year-old would sing it. It's, it's like, it's like uh, Freddie Freeman's son, Charlie. It's ridiculous how good a hitter that kid is at age four. As Chipper Jones told me, he's a better hitter at age five than I was at age 10. And that's Chipper, a Hall of Famer, who was remarkably advanced. So the first time I saw Jackson Holiday as a little kid, I laughed out loud at how perfect he was at imitating the batting stances of other players. And you say, well, how do, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think it has everything to do with it. It means yes. he's paying attention, he's watching, and then he can actually show you this is what Ken Griffey Jr. does with his hands coming through the ball, and then he starts to do the same thing as he gets older. It's not no surprise at all that the son of a really good major leaguer I believe the greatest player ever with the first name Matt in Major League history, by the way, has no surprise whatsoever that his son is the number one pick. Yeah, absolutely. I had a similar conversation with Matt, and I track Jackson when I see him from time to time, and you watch him take batting practice, and you're like, okay, we're going to be talking about him on the podcast at some point. Uh, tonight, we've got the Home Run Derby. Who's your pick? Uh, it's Pete Alonso, Buster. I, I, I've covered every one of these home run derbies, every one they've ever had. I covered it to the point where I remember when Rich Domley used to throw batting practice to everyone in the home run derby. They only had one BP pitcher was the same guy and he pitched from the top of the rubber and he threw the whole time after one of those, I want to say in Pittsburgh, Jim Fergozzi came out and hugged Rich Donnelly. Like, that was the greatest performance I've ever seen you throwing to all these guys. The point is, I've never seen anybody enjoy this competition more than Pete Alonso. And I say enjoy it, Buster. I mean wants to win it more than he does. He preps for it. He sat down with Ravi and Eddie at the desk last year in between rounds, and they were interviewing him, and he had no idea what they were talking about. It was like the worst interview ever because he was in a trance, because he was in a trance about hitting home runs. It's the same trance that great hitters get into and great pitchers get into. They don't even know what's going on around them. It's just them and the pitcher or them and the catcher. That's the way he was 
in the home run derby because he's so involved and he wants to win it so much. And given his physical skills and the way he can hit homers, I think he wins three in a row. No one's ever done that. And by the way, because Pete Alonso cares more than anybody about this event, he's got Dave Joust coming back, uh, who was a coach with the Mets last year, went to the Nationals. I talked to Dave the other day. He said that Jeff McNeil walked to him, up to him in spring training and said, you know he's going to ask you to do it again. And Dave Joust, who's now established as a home run derby pitcher celebrity, He's throwing at the Home Run Derby. He did earlier this year at the Derby X in London. He's got trips scheduled to South Korea and to Mexico to be the Home Run Derby pitcher. That's the guy who's going to be on the mound for Pete. Right. Uh, And I love it that Dave Joust doesn't throw very hard at all. He's 65, Tim. Right. He's my age, and he's – He's and he's not throwing anything firm, which we all love. That's what we're all told. Given you know, Bryce Harper's dad was throwing like ninety, it seemed like from from forty feet away, and Bryce Harper had everything in the seats. This guy's going to throw about forty, and it's still going to work. And whatever works, works. Two quick ones for you before you go. Uh, you and I are doing the All Star Game on radio for ESPN on Tuesday. We're excited to do that. It'll be fun being in the dugouts, having conversations with players. I'm not wild about all the All-Stars who are dropping out of this event, Tim. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, again, Buster, if I may, I'm just too old sometimes. But I grew up at a time where guys would play the entire All-Star game. Johnny Bench would catch the entire All-Star game. Willie Mays played the entire game. And that's not a fault of today's players. It's just not the way the game works. I think I think we're over 80 players, Buster, 80 who have now made the All-Star team in one form or another. We had the original group, and then with all the dropouts, 80 players is too many players to make the All-Star team. And that doesn't mean there are guys who are going who do not belong. It's just it should be a more select group. And I'm sorry, if you're asked to go to the All-Star game, you should go to the All-Star game. And if there's any way you can play in it, you should. And if you can play nine innings, you should. But we don't do that anymore, and that – that saddens me just a little bit. I talked to Kyle Schwarber about the Derby uh, a few weeks ago. He initially was sort of leaning against doing it, and then he was like, you know, it would be good if I did it, right? And I'm like, 100%. Like, you're one of the best guys, and that's you You hope that all of these annual erosions don't create this trend uh, that is irreversible. There needs to be a conversation between the Player Association and Major League Baseball. And I'm guessing Fox is not wild about it. You know, who's broadcasting the game? They're going to go, hey, wait a second. We need all these players invested in this event. Uh, last one before you go. To me, as we are now 15 days away from the trade deadline, the team under the most pressure to make a deal, the Boston Red Sox. We saw Chris Sale walk out. He had a the busted finger yesterday. He's going to be out weeks. The pitching already stunk before that. They need to make a trade, Tim. And I know that's not Bloom's nature. He tends to work very deliberately. They need help right away. They're in trouble, Buster. There's no doubt. The way they played, they just gave up, what, 24 runs in back-to-back games to the Yankees. The Yankees have never scored 24 runs in back-to-back games ever in their history against the Red Sox. And you look at their pitching, and we just figured, well, when Sale, Whitlock, and Evaldi come back, their pitching's going to be straight, and they're going to be good, and they're going to make the playoffs. Now we're not so sure about that because Sale's out for a while. That looked terrible. And even though Evaldi and Whitlock are great additions, I agree. They're they're a pitcher short. The Mariners are for real. They've won 14 games in a row. Even though the, the Rays have had a million injuries, they always see, see, find a way to win. And the Blue Jays seem to seem to have recovered. They've, they're, they're three, four and one with their new manager. They've won three games in a row. Uh, I think the Red Sox have to go do something uh, and they have to do it before the trade deadline if they're going to make the playoffs. All right, Tim. Good to talk with you. Uh, and uh, I will see you at the park and, and I'll tease you about being a Hall of Famer. <laughs> All right, Buster. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew 
designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com, and also uh, she is doing the numbers for us on the Home Run Derby tonight. Sarah, it'll be fun to see you uh, later today. I know how much you love this event, so I'm right off the top. Give me a winner. <laughs> I am so excited, first off. I keep saying the Derby is my Favorite day of the year, non-birthday edition. I believe we've covered the birthday thing on this podcast for long-time listeners. Yes, I'm kind of biding time now, so I don't have to make my pick, but I will. I think I have to go with the back-to-back winner in Pete Alonso and say that we'll see that three-peat. I mean, but I will say, if Acuna upsets him in the first round, I think I will go with Acuna at that point. Okay. Uh, I, I will tell you know it's interesting. I, I've gone back and forth on uh, on and you know who to pick. In the end, when I was on Get Up this morning, I picked Juan Soto. I nice. just think after I talked to him the other day, he just he is as always. He's got a plan as Pete does. And in my conversations with Kyle Schwarber and Julio Rodriguez and Soto and other guys in the Derby in recent days. Uh, a lot of it is you got to have experience to do this. And I thought his round against Shohei Otani last year was so impressive. I was like, this, this guy's going to yeah. win it one year. I love that. I really love that. He's probably my choice, but we'll see. I'm so excited to see all of these guys in the Derby for sure. No doubt about it. All right, uh, Sarah, jump in here. Sarah Abbott, jump in here and give us your pick for the Derby tonight. As much as I, as I would love a three-peat, I'm kind of rooting for chaos, so I would love to see him get upset the first round. But ultimately, I do agree with you, Buster. I think it's going to be Juan Soto. All right, Taylor. Going for for the champion here. Two-time, two-time home run derby champion, Pete Alonso. That's my pick. Wow. Okay. Uh, it, I, I I was talking with someone today and we were talking about all the all-star game defections and how that feels like it's taken some of the energy out of that event. And, and he said, boy, you know, the, the all-star uh, days, they need some juice. I'm like, no, 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 we're good. <laughs> home run derby's good. You know, I agree with the all-star game and the conversation around that, but the home run derby tonight is going to be unbelievable. All right, Sarah, let's play the numbers game. Number three. So number three is three. As I just mentioned and Taylor just mentioned, Pete Alonzo tonight will be looking to join Ken Griffey Jr. as the only three-time Derby winners. And unlike Griffey, Alonzo would be winning three straight, which nobody has done. And one of the things I looked into as I was prepping for this Derby was I went back and I actually watched all of his rounds last year because this was a stat we didn't have track so this is how effective his contact was last year 74 percent of his swings led to home runs so almost 75 (laughs) almost three quarters led to home runs i thought that was incredible i don't have a lot of context for it but it feels like a number that kind of speaks for itself number two Number two is 21 for Julio Rodriguez, who's 21 years and 201 days old today, the fourth youngest participant in a home run derby and would be by far the youngest winner. It's not experienced, probably does we're talking about. The youngest winner, Juan Gonzalez, in 1993. But there's some other fun stuff with career home runs. That's tied with Evan Longoria in 2008 for the third fewest of any participant in a career entering a derby behind Vlad in 2019, who had just eight, 
and Chris Bryant, who had just 12 2015. And it would, of course, be the fewest of any winner. Number one. Number one is two for Juan Soto. So Juan Soto is participating, as we've alluded to, in his second straight home run derby. He is just the second player to participate twice before 24, joining, of course, the king of the home run derby, at least for one more night, Ken Griffey Jr. We did this out the other day, and everyone goes, yeah, but Griffey won. That's the big difference. Griffey did not win in those first three. He won for the first time in his fourth time participating in 1994. So if Soto wins, he'd be the second youngest winner. But I like this idea that he's on his way to maybe being a perennial participant, which would be really, really great for the sport. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you love the fact that Alonso loves it so much. You get the feeling Soto wants to. And I, uh, Sarah, I got to be there when Griffey did the event in Camden Yards as a young player, and he became the first player to hit the warehouse uh, you know, with a, it, during the course at Derby. That was amazing. Uh, we A lot of talk about Juan Soto, of course, right now. Gut instinct for you, and this is total speculation at this point because the Nationals really haven't gotten into the business of exchanging names with teams. What's your gut instinct about which team is going to make a deal for him? So my gut instinct, the moment I saw it was the Dodgers are going to do this somehow. It just feels like they always have the prospect capital to pull off a deal like this. Maybe I'm biased because of the Mookie Betts deal, that being recently in my brain. But I maybe I'm just thinking about the potential of an outfield if Soto Bellinger, if Bellinger gets it back together and Beth. But uh, maybe it's the fact that Dodgers always seem to make the right move. But that was the team that came to mind for me. But that's not super well researched. I mean, obviously, any team in baseball could use him. He is the best in baseball. So it's fascinating to think about where he could end up. Yeah. So I mentioned to Tim, I think it's going to be the San Diego Padres. Uh, And the one thing about the Dodgers is you mentioned that you spurred a thought for me about if you're sitting in the Dodgers front office and you're trying to decide whether or not to do this, you essentially could make an argument that, you know what, we're going to make a deal for Juan Soto and aim to have him become what we thought Cody Bellinger was going to be. We were prepared to pay uh, Bellinger a lot of money going forward. Uh, as he developed and we assume going into superstardom and that just hasn't happened. And then you bring in an absolutely pure hitter in Soto, a guy who's a superstar. You know, they probably would give him a record deal if they were the team to do it, you know, $500 million or whatever the number would be. That might be the conversation in the Dodgers organization. That's fascinating. I mean, I could certainly see it, but I love the Padres idea. I mean, two of the best stars of this generation with Ted Tease and Soto being on the same team. And we know they're friends. Of course, they're both from the Dominican Republic. There's so much there. I can't even imagine. I mean, it almost feels like in the NBA when these guys pick their teams, except this would be, you know, front offices picking for them. But that would be a crazy super team. (laughs) That would going, I'm assuming you would probably have Tatis then Soto, then Manny Machado. You'd feel pretty good about those guys at the top of your lineup. Yeah, and if you're the Padres, um, you may not necessarily sign him to a long-term deal. You might say, you know what, we're going to trade C.J. Abrams as a shortstop, another prospect, a couple more prospects, and we're going to have him for three pennant races, and then we'll see where we go before he becomes a free agent. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. With a player this young, I sort of feel like, you know, teams might be okay with having a rental because this is such good player that you're going to have the potential to win if he is in your lineup. And it's very different from getting a pitcher you don't know down the stretch one year, who knows what's going to happen. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting because the NBA right now is dealing with the fact of will Kevin Durant get traded? And would he be among the best players ever to be traded? And of course, if Juan Soto gets traded, we'll have the exact same conversation for baseball to be traded in your prime at a moment like this. Awesome. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. I'll see you in a bit. Thanks so much for having me. Can't wait. Happy Derby Day, everybody. 
Tim Neverett is the play-by-play man on Dodgers television and radio. He's the author of the book, COVID Curveball, an inside view of the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers World Championship season. Tim, how you doing? Great, Buster. Always good to visit with you. Always good to talk with you, too. Uh, tonight, you get to be a fan. You were, we were talking before we got started uh, here, uh, and you mentioned you're going to the Derby tonight at Dodger Stadium as a fan. I am. I went last year in Denver. We were there to, to uh, promote the book, actually, at the All-Star Game uh, in Denver, and uh, my wife and I went to the Derby and loved it, loved every second of it. I hadn't been in quite a while. I had been uh, for the first time in 1992, in San Diego when it wasn't such a big deal. They had a hard time selling tickets for the event. And then Mark McGuire hit home run after home run after home run after home run. And I was kind of hooked on the derby after that. But we're going to go sit uh, in some decent seats and uh, really enjoy the atmosphere at Dodger Stadium and take in the derby. Yeah, I was talking with a friend over the weekend, uh, and she was asking me about, you know, uh, she's not really a baseball fan, and she goes, the Derby's kind of boring. I'm like, no, like the Derby's the best event baseball has during the course of the year, and I I feel like it's been augmented uh, by the clock. I love it. I love the clock. I love the music. I love uh, love everything about it. I think that, um, you know, seeing what the guys put into it, is something that I don't think fans expect if they haven't seen the Derby before. It's exhausting for these players. It's tiring for these guys. Plus, they're going for prize money, too, which wasn't the case in the past. So, you know, we've had a winner the last two years, in Pete, uh, last two Derbies, I should say, in Pete Alonzo, who makes more by winning the Home Run Derby than he does as, as a salaried player with the Mets. So, for him... It's very personal, and, and he does give some back to charity, which is great. But, um, you know, for him, it's it's competition, and you can really see it, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and the other players are really into it. That's what I uh, was describing for my friend about, like, if you saw the reaction of the other players to these guys in the Derby, then you would understand why it's so special because people in the industry are excited to watch like yourself. Give me a Derby pick. Well, I got to go with uh... – Alonzo for the three-peat, not just because he's leading the world in RBIs, but because of the pitcher. Uh, Dave Jouse, who is the best batting practice pitcher on the planet, perhaps. Uh, He's so good that even though he's with the Nationals organization now, Pete called him up and said, hey, I want you back this year. He was with the Mets last year as the bench coach. Uh, He just came back from London pitching in Home Run Derby X. And he's going to pitch to Pete again. And I think the pitcher has a lot to do with the winner. So I'm going to go with uh, Alonzo for the three-peat. Dave Jouse is going to be very proud because this is the second chunk in this podcast in which you've had extensive conversations about Dave Jouse as a BP pitcher. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, as he said to me, you know, hey, you know what? It's kept me in baseball. Uh, And he mentioned he doesn't have to wear uh, the green monster suit, doesn't have to be that mascot uh, he's, he's the guy now known as throwing to uh, home run derby champions. What's the scene going to be like at Dodger stadium? I think it's going to be remarkable. Uh, it, it's, you know, we're fortunate in LA. We see a lot of crowds of 50,000 or better. Uh, you know, when the Padres come in or the giants come in, uh, you know, it's like a playoff atmosphere anyway, during the regular season. Uh, I, I know just for the celebrity softball event, it was a great atmosphere. I can't imagine the Derby. I mean, it's, it's all, all I can imagine is it's just going to be wild. People are going to be really into it. Um, you know, especially I, I think a lot of Dodger fans will be rooting for Corey Seager. Uh, now that he's with the, the Rangers because they saw so much of him in the past, they'll be rooting for Albert Pujols, who was with the Dodgers last year. Plus, it'll be, uh, I think, a lot of people's last chance to see him swing a bat in person. Uh, because uh, of you know his illustrious career coming down to the wire. Uh, I, I just think that they're going to be amazed. I, I'm, I'm also thinking with the baseballs that they use, we might see some balls on the roof or even over the pavilion, which is a very rare feat. But I think with the baseballs that are used, we're probably going to see a few of those tonight. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute blast. All right, the book is COVID Curveball, an inside view of the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers World Championship season. Uh, it's essentially written in, in a diary form. When did you decide during that year you were going to start doing this? You know, it was funny because after we got sent home from spring training, 
uh, due to everything shutting down, uh, my wife and I got a cabin in the woods in New Hampshire and we're out walking our dog in the woods and just talking about what probably is going to be with baseball. And so, uh, came up with the out of the box idea. You know, I'm, I don't know what my role is going to be in a shortened season. So maybe I should just write everything down every day and see what, what comes of it. And, um, as we started to go along, you know, idea of putting it into book form because the season was just so, you know, crazy in some ways and wild in other ways and weird in other ways. So decided to chronicle it on a day by day basis. And, you know, lo and behold, when we started thinking about a book idea, we never thought they'd go and win the world series, thought they were going to be a good team, but because they went and won the world series and because it was in diary form, I'd say about a week or two after the World Series ended, the manuscript was already done because it had been written in real time as the season went along. So um, it, was, it was really interesting to be there day by day because most people couldn't watch games in person where I could because of my access with the Dodgers. And I could be at an empty stadium. I could tell you what happens after dark at Dodger Stadium when there's nobody around, what kind of animals come down from the hills and things like that. I mean, it, there's just so many weird things that went on that year. Uh, but the Dodgers, from the time they started to play to the end of the World Series, were one of the few teams that didn't have a COVID case. So they were able to, to keep their roster intact. They were able to play exceptionally well. And then the playoffs were, were very competitive. And still, the whole thing was just really different every day. So um, I decided to chronicle it and, it, and then turn into a book. And uh, you know, a lot of Dodger fans have, have been able to get a hold of it. And uh, you know, I was asked to go and uh, sign books at the at Cooperstown this weekend. I'm going to be at the World, uh, I mean, at the Hall of Fame this weekend, uh, signing books out in front of Moni's Bookstore on Main Street. And it's fitting because you know, former Dodgers going in, so there'll be a lot of people with Dodgers interest. Uh, you know, Gil Hodges being inducted. So it'll be fun to be in Cooperstown. It's just, uh, I mean. Uh, it's, it's kind of a crazy week for me. Home run derby, all-star game, Hall of Fame induction in the same week. I feel like I'm Buster Rolling. Oh, right. No, no. Your <laughs> week is a lot better than mine. Uh, and you're going to see our friend Tim Kirkchin up there, too. This is the week that he's going to be honored at the Hall of Fame. So that'll be a lot yeah. of fun. I must tell you that in reading the book, I uh, like I made a note to myself, like, I want to go find Justin Turner at some point. And basically apologize or not apologize is not the right word, but basically, hey, sorry about all the the perception of you after you tested positive during the last game of the World Series, because there's no doubt, you know, in that moment and, and the information we're getting from sources from Major League Baseball, it sounded like an absolutely contentious situation where Turner wanted to get back on the field right after testing positive. He goes back on the field. He want, you know, they have the, the, the situation where he's suspended. And as you write, Justin was one of the people who on a day-to-day basis was really working to keep uh, the Dodgers COVID free. If he, if there was a COVID cop on the team, he was it. And he was the guy who was trying to say, okay, major league baseball's protocols are here. They're good but we need to be better if we want to win the world series. So let's do this and let's do this. And, you know, he wanted us uh, in the media and the broadcasters, especially to know about it. So we could tell people that the Dodgers are going above and beyond, you know, and and it stemmed from the players. That's why it was so shocking to me that Justin was the guy to get a positive test and how that all came down was really crazy. But I, I think the most 2020 thing about 2020 was that, Blake Snell was lifted from game six due to analytics and due to the system the Tampa Bay Rays employed before somebody with a positive COVID test left the game. And I, I, I think that was the most 2020 thing about 2020. Um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, Walker Bueller went out to the, to the bullpen just in case he was needed. And he told the guys, yeah, JT is positive, And they didn't believe him. They thought he was kidding, and then they saw Edwin Rios go out to third base. They looked at Bueller, and they go, you weren't kidding, were you? They said, no, I told you. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's when it all came down, and it it really was – it was like a bittersweet feeling at the end. Hey, they won the World Series, and everybody with baseball and everybody with the Dodgers is like, yeah, we were supposed to celebrate, but here's one of our leaders – we don't know what's going on here. So it was a real weird time. And just to cap off again, a, a weird with a capital W year. 
Uh, and just one last question on that season. I got a couple of other rapid fire for you. Uh, you know, people always ask the question, does a 60 game regular season in a World Series, does it mean as much as the other one? And I've sort of processed that and had conversations with uh, folks in baseball, players, front office people. When they refer to the Dodgers championship, no one ever references a 60-game season. They don't look at it as being like something that's not as worthy as some of the other years. Tell me how the Dodgers feel about that. Well, they know that everybody else had to play by the same rules that year and had, had the same schedule that year. And I think once they got to the postseason, the postseason wasn't shortened at all. In fact, it was lengthened uh, because of the extra games in the wild card round. But, no, they look at it as a legitimate world championship. And, you know, 1981, remember that, um, because that was a strike-shortened year. Nobody ever looks at the 81 champion, which happened to be the Dodgers, yep. as, uh, as anything less than legitimate. So I, I do think it's legitimate. It's the season that was pre- presented to them. The games were scheduled. They played them, and they won it all. And, uh, you know, the one thing about that season, though, I will say, empty stadiums, you know, weird soundtracks over the PA, whatever. Uh, when they got between the lines, they played hard. They played Major League Baseball. They played to the best of their ability. There was really no difference in the way that they played the game, whether they were 50,000 or, or, you know, 5,000 cardboard cutouts in the seats. So they played Major League Baseball. They deserved to win the title, and, and they did it. I don't think it should be looked at as anything other than it is in a world champion. We learned over the weekend that Juan Soto is going to be out on the trade market. Uh, some of the teams I've spoken with believe that he is going to be traded. What's your gut instinct on how involved the Dodgers get? You know, they get involved with everything, it seems. I mean, if they have a way that they can improve the ball club, they really go after it. And more so than I've seen other clubs do in the past. Uh, the Dodgers always seem to be in the middle of conversation. <laughs> um, it amazes me, what last year especially, what Andrew Friedman did to get not only Max Scherzer, but Trey Turner in a deal where you didn't have to give up anybody off your major league roster. Now, Josiah Gray and Cabert Ruiz went to Washington, and that worked out great for them because they were able to move into that system and become big leaguers on a daily basis where they weren't going to do that in L.A. They were blocked in L.A. So to not lose anybody off your major league roster, gain two superstars, one of them is still with you and is one of the best hitters in baseball and, and one of the better shortstops as well. He's going to start in the game tomorrow night. Um, my gut feeling tells me, yeah, yeah, the Dodgers are going to kick the tires. Why wouldn't they? They, they always seem to be in the middle of, of, of any kind of a major deal. I mean, they went out and got Mookie Betts. They went out and got... Uh, you know, a few years ago, 2018, uh, Corey Seager gets hurt. What do they do? Well, let's go get Manny Machado, you know, because he was the best infielder available at the time. And um, my guess is that, yeah, they'll, they'll be kicking the tires. They'll be in the conversation. Whatever happens, we don't know because uh, that remains to be seen. But August 2nd, there's going to be a big day in baseball, maybe again for the Dodgers and maybe for Juan Soto. Who knows? Before you started working for the Dodgers, you, of course, worked for the Boston Red Sox. I want to ask you about the sale injury that we saw on Sunday. He's going to be out for weeks. Uh, I said on television this morning, I think that the Red Sox are the uh, contender under the most pressure to make a deal to improve that pitching staff. But it just feels like with everything they've done the last couple of years, like they're not necessarily going to be aggressive. What do you think? If they want to be a wild card team, because there's – Little to no chance of them winning the division, barring a miracle. So they're, they're going to have to get to the postseason as a wild card. That division's tough. It really is. It's going to be a difficult division for them to make a wild card if they don't make a move. Uh, they need pitching. That means they're going to be in competition with other top contenders, division leaders at this point who are, who are definite buyers. I don't know what they can do at this point in time, to be honest. And I don't know, you know, internally – if they sit there and go, look, here are the numbers of the division. Here's where we are. Maybe we make it look like we're buyers, and then we don't buy and accept the wrath for a short time. Because if they do go and buy, it may not work out for them even with the way the division is. So I, I'm with you. I, I, don't, I think there's a lot of pressure on them to make a maneuver at this point in time. And if they have any chance of going to the wild card round, and getting into the postseason, they're going to have to make probably more than one move. They're going to have to make a couple of significant moves 
But the, the, the two moves that the fans want them to make more than anything else is to re-sign Rafael Devers, number one, and find a way to keep Xander Bogarts, number two. I don't know that they're going to be able to do both. No, I agree. And I don't know if they'll do either because I think that one question that I did radio in, in uh, Boston a few times last week about this was, uh, you know, since Bloom took over baseball operations, how quickly do they move? Like, have we seen them go out and be aggressive as big market teams typically are? Whether you mentioned the Dodgers with their moves, uh, the Yankees will do the, you know, swoop in and make aggressive moves. And the Red Sox don't seem to do that as much. Last year at the trade deadline, you know, they they kind of waited and waited and waited and the price on Schwarber dropped and, and that worked out okay. Uh, they did the same thing with the shortstops, waited for Trevor Store to sort of be isolated in the market. It doesn't seem like it's part of the Red Sox DNA at this point to to move fast. So we'll see what happens. All right, Tim, congrats on the book. Have fun in Cooperstown this weekend and, and uh, give Tim a – uh, when you see him, Tim Kirk's in a hard time, and ask him when you see him if his name is the only name mentioned in his speech. All right, I'll ask him that. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, Buster, I hope to see you uh, see you around pretty soon. I mentioned at the top of the show that the Texas Rangers selected Kumar Rocker as the third overall pick. He spoke with Major League Baseball Network right after that happened. Kumar Rocker who pitched independent ball, did not go back to college after not signing with the Mets last year. Kumar Rocker went third overall, and he joins us now live on MLB Network. Kumar, did you have a secret that we, the rest of us, didn't know? Did you expect to go third overall today? Man, not at all, man. I was just hoping to get the opportunity to play. Hey, Kumar, it's Harold here. Congratulations, man. Uh, Just... What you've gone through in a year, and I touched on it a lot, when you go through adversity, it makes you stronger. What's one of the lessons that stood out for you during this time of rehab and independent ball and getting here to where you are today? Man, I walk by faith and not by fear. Just that hard work pays off at the end of the day. That's outstanding. What about the idea of eventually, someday, we want to dream on this, you're in a big league rotation with your former college teammate, Jack Leiter. Yeah, that's the boy right there, man. I'm excited to see Jackie soon, man. Hey, you know, when Texas was talking to you, did they talk about the fact they saw you a lot because they saw Jack as well? Did that come across at all? I think, yeah, I think we came as a package deal years later. (laughs) Hey, congrats to you, big man. I'm glad you're in God's country there next to Knoxville. Uh, I know you represent Vanderbilt well, too. But again, congrats to you. And how much did sitting around – I know you got an edge to you, man. So how much sitting around with extra time were you stewing and maybe have a little extra sense of motivation with how all this went down? Uh, it was every day, bro. It was, it was August 1st at 501 is when it changed, man. I got to work after that. And from then, we're here today, man. So it was a beautiful process. I'm excited I went through it. If I'm a Ranger fan, I'm fired up right now. Kumar Rocker drafted third overall to Texas. Congratulations, Kumar, and thanks for your time. Thank you. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for Amundi. David at baseballfan1918 is up first. He writes in, hey, Buster, there have been some talks about if the Angels should trade Trout and the rumors about Soto possibly being traded lately. My question is, what superstar would you trade your top prospects for considering both their ages and states of their contracts? None. And I, I mean, I, I'm assuming the premise of your question, David, is that, you know, who can you get, uh, what kind of equal value could you get for any of the, these guys? You can't. The Nationals, you know, assuming that they trade Soto before the deadline. And as I mentioned, that is the assumption of other teams that this is being driven by the uh, potential sale of the team. You're not going to get equal value. You're just going to do the best you can. And it stinks for the Nationals. And yes, uh, you know, Mike Rizzo, uh, I think he's uh, adept enough. They have enough good young players. They could turn it around quickly. Uh, if they get a couple of major league ready players, a couple of high-end talents, but you're not going to get equal value for a guy who at 23 years old is being compared to Ted Williams. You're just not. Tough spot for the Nats. Corey Ruckert at Corey R underscore 12 writes in with Soto on the market. Now do the Yanks make a move? They have five top 100 prospects need to replace Gallo and they could pay Soto and let Judge walk. Soto is seven years younger. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, we're going to, you know, we'll be talking about the Yankees. We'll be talking about the Dodgers. Uh, you know, in the end, I don't see the Yankees, you know, going through this judge situation. Let's say they don't sign him and then immediately have that looming in a couple of years. I mean, imagine the leverage of Scott Boris in dealing with the Yankees. He could say, look, I want a $600 million contract. I want $50 million a year, and the Yankees would be behind the eight ball if they give up a lot of prospects in so many ways. Like, Soto is a great fit for the Yankees, as he would be for any team, but a left-handed hitter, Yankee Stadium, that young, blah, 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 blah. I I just, you know, having known Brian Cashman for a lot of years, I don't see him being the guy who's going to give up those prospects. I don't see Hal Steinbrenner being the owner who's going to give up those prospects. Mitchell Black at MC Black underscore 24 writes, and I don't understand why teams even offer these 10 plus year mega deals. Have they ever worked out for a team in the end? Sure. Um, they have, uh, you know, you think in 10 plus years, your uh, 10 plus year deals. I remember the Jeter deal that he signed was a 10 years, 189 million. That turned out to be a terrific deal for the Yankees. Uh, they had a long-term deal with Mike Messina that worked out well for the team. Uh, Max Scherzer, not that long, but it, the deal worked out. And here's the other thing too, that it's important to remember about these long-term deals. Teams aren't uh, assuming that there's going to be high production at the end of the contract. They're just hoping that they get super high production at the beginning of the contract, good production in the middle, and they assume there's going to be a drop-off in talent at the end. Bill Walton at Dr. Oyster. <laughs> when that liner went off Chris Sale's finger, did the Red Sox become sellers at the trade deadline? Not yet. Uh, I think it would be stupid. They're two games out of the wild card. They got Xander Bogarts. They got Rafael Devers. They have J.D. Martinez. They certainly have the assets to go and make moves. I said on Get Up this morning, to me, the Red Sox are the team most under pressure to make a move and to do it quickly uh, to stay in this. They clearly need pitching. They rank 20th in ERA out of 30 teams. Goldmeyer at Goldmeyer is the last tweet for the day. He writes in, in your recent discussion of where Otani might go, no mention was made of teams that would let him be a two-way player. We'll all let him continue playing as he is now. Is that not an issue? Imagine if some will and some won't. That will be a factor in the decision. No, Goldmeyer, I, I mean, that whoever acquires him is going to acquire him as a two-way player because he's demonstrated that he can do it. You know, when he came over here, the question was whether or not anyone could uh, carry that workload and he has shown, yes, he can do it. So if you are, you know, the Mets, if you're the Mariners, uh, you know, the teams that will be looking to sign it potentially, if you're the Yankees, you're looking at him as, as a two-way player. And keep in mind uh, that if Otani, you know, this decision pops up when he becomes a free agent, he gets to choose. So if any team had any reservations, and I don't think they would because he's demonstrated that he's a high-end hitter and he's a high-end pitcher and he can handle the workload, uh, if any team had reservations in allowing him to do that, he could just say, you know what? I'm not signing with you. All righty. That does it for Bleacher Tweets for Monday. Send them in while you're watching the Home Run Derby tonight. If you want to run oh, back yeah. to Tim and Buster's segment, don't forget that's on ESPN's YouTube page. And we will be back tomorrow to recap the Home Run Derby. And we will also be back on Thursday as well. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Tim, Sarah, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Have fun watching the Home Run Derby. I, I can't wait for this tonight. I'm so fired up about it. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.